Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Julie R. and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, November 30th. Today we are reading from the big book and we are on page XV, the last paragraph, starting with the spark that was to flare. Today's readers are Lisa H., Ginger C., Christine M. The reference number for Tuesday, November 29th is 9305. Away Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Joanne L. to read the 12 steps. Good morning, Julie. Thank you for your service, and good morning, everyone. Joanne L. from Rhode Island. Step one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continue to take personal inventory, and when we are wrong, promptly omitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us, in the power to carry that out. In 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. And thank you for having me do service this month. Pass. Thank you, Joanne L. I will now ask Anita L. to read the 12 traditions. Good morning, everybody. This is Anita L. from Philadelphia, the 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. 
Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to compulsive eaters who still suffer. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and with that, I pass. Thank you, Anita L. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book on page XV, paragraph, starting on the the last paragraph, the spark that was to flare. I will now ask Lisa H. to begin reading. Good morning. This is Lisa H., a recovered compulsive overeater from Tennessee. The spark that was to flare into the first AA group was struck at Akron, Ohio, in June 1935, during a talk between a New York stockbroker and an Akron physician. Six months earlier, the broker had been relieved of his drink obsession by a sudden spiritual experience following a meeting with an alcoholic friend who had been in contact with the Oxford groups of that day. He had also been greatly helped by the late William D. Silkworth, a New York specialist in alcoholism, who is now accounted no less than a medical saint by AA members and and whose story of the early days of our society appears in the next pages. 
From this doctor, the broker had learned the grave nature of alcoholism. Though he could not accept all the tenets of the Oxford group, he was convinced of the need of moral inventory, confession of personality defects, restitution to those harmed, helpfulness to others, and the necessity of belief in and dependence upon God. Good morning again, Lisa H. Um, from Tennessee. And um, as we begin the study of this text, um, I think when I first came in, we were already well past the doctor's opinion. Um, and I love going back to, uh, to this information. Um, the things that stand out to me is um, sudden spiritual experience and realizing it doesn't happen suddenly for everyone. Um, but what I knew was when I started listening um, to everyone talking about the big book is that I wanted that spiritual experience. Um, more than anything. I think that I had finally figured out that was the only way I was going to be relieved, relieved of this mental obsession that I had. Um, at the bottom, it says he was convinced, you know, and convinced is convinced. The definition of convinced is completely certain about something. And, and that was me. I mean, I had to be convinced um, that there was no other way. Um, but in that um, learning, um, I didn't know anything about the allergy of the body. Um, when I put down my alcohol binge foods um, and I felt like I woke up, I was, the, I was, I was certainly convinced. I was convinced that um, I, couldn't, I couldn't eat like that anymore um, and that I had to continue on with this process. You know, this, the, the very end of this paragraph is sort of the crux of the whole thing. Um, I'm convinced that, that I have an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind um, and that I need to move on with the steps. Um, the other word that stands out to me is necessity, um, the necessity of belief in. And necessity, you know, is essential, um, absolutely required. Um, I also know that I couldn't um, move through these steps unless I had some kind of belief in and dependence on God. Um, it just wasn't going to work for me. Um, dependence also means um, relying on something, and, and that was relying on a power uh, greater than me. Um, I, had to, I had to find that power because I grew up with, a, with an angry, punishing power, um, God, that I called God. But I had, I had to change that concept. Um, and, of course, the, the lovely part of it is it says, Come up with your own concept. Um, you know, I love the term creative intelligence, um, all of those things. You know, it's, it's so inclusive, um, so not exclusive. But for, for me, um, for this to work, I had to find that power. I had to believe in that power. I had to depend on that power, which I have to do on a daily basis. And that's why I keep coming back. Um, to listen to, to you all, um, to listen to recovered and recovering people um, so that I can stay recovered, so that I can learn new ways of helping other people um, in this process. Thanks for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Lisa H. Who would like to share on this paragraph? Marie J. Yes. Marie J. Tina S. Tina S. 
Vasa O. Roxanne B. Vasa O. Roxanne B. Yes. Wayne C. Okay. Wayne C. Sally A. Sally A. Okay, we'll start with this. Marie J. followed by Tina S. Hi, this is Marie J. and I am recovered in Colorado. Um, I love this relieved by a sudden spiritual experience, too. I was thinking the other day that um, it felt sudden. It felt sudden when I, when I had my spiritual awakening. But as I thought about it, it wasn't. It wasn't sudden at all. It came from trial and error. It came from going out for more research. It came from relapse. It came from not being able to find God and having to go back and back and back on my second step and meditating and praying for some understanding of God, having also grown up with a punishing God and having such a hard time releasing that belief and finding some truth about higher power and being able to, to, to really sense that and feel that and experience higher power in my life. And it came from not having humility to make my amends and having to go back and relapse twice at the ninth step and then doing everything imperfectly and getting to a point where, oh, I, I understand I'm human and I can't rise above my humanness and, and being able to accept that I, I'm always going to make mistakes. I'm always going to be human. I'm always going to be imperfect. And this process is going to be imperfect. And once I was able to realize that and release that as well, abandon that to God, then I was able to, to, to accept that this is a process and it's every single day of my life I have to do my 10, 11, and 12 or I'm not going to get there. I'm not going to stay here in recovery. And it also came from not being willing to be in total abstinence. No one was going to tell me what to eat and how much to eat. And I was in total self-reliance on that. I was unwilling to talk to a nutritionist and hire a nutritionist and weigh and measure my food. But I got there. And when I got there, it felt sudden. It felt like this giant spiritual awakening. But it came from taking action. And it came from being willing to abandon myself entirely to God and to be directed in my life. And today, it's a miracle. It's just such an amazing experience to have this total freedom and total recovery one day at a time. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Marie J. And Tina S. followed by Vasa O. Thanks, Julie. Uh, Tina S. Compulsive Eater, Anorexic in Florida. Well, thanks for the two people who just shared. Got some really good information, and that's why I continue to uh, listen here because I I need to continue to learn. And and what what you know what they're talking about here is is the meeting between Dr. Bob and Bill Wilson and. And then it says that six months earlier that Bill Wilson had been relieved of his drink obsession by a sudden spiritual experience. And I, too, had the slow variety type. And, but one of the things that really catches me is that, you know, um, he was told the grave nature of this 
of alcoholism, you know, the deadliness of alcoholism, you know, the allergy of the body, the obsession of the mind. And then he was given the solution, you know, and and it was. He was convinced of the need for moral inventory, confession of personality defects, restitution to those harmed, helpfulness to others, and the necessity of belief in independence upon God. And that's the solution. And, you know, it's not just um, just put the drink down, just put the food down and hang out with me, you know, because, I, you know, when I first got here, that's what I thought the deal was. Okay, I had to white knuckle this thing, just put it down, and then hang out with somebody who was really living life. And uh, that didn't do much for me. Uh, but what did was the things that he had talked about with the solution. But first for me, and this is for me, that I had to have, a, I love that somebody just shared this, I had to have a belief in and dependence upon God, which is a power greater than myself, you know, and that changes and evolves over time. You know, I, my sponsor always says, hey, your God's not big enough, so it's time to, you know, get some more stuff going on here to uh, form a better relationship with the power greater than myself and therefore to guide me through this uh, journey. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Tina S. Vasa O, followed by Roxanne B. Vasa O, press star one. Okay, let's go on to Roxanne B. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for walking this path with me and being of service. Um, What stands out for me from this paragraph is that the broker, who we know is Bill W., uh, was convinced of the need for moral inventory, confession of personal defects, restitution to those harmed, helpfulness to others, and the necessity of belief and dependence upon God. And here we have steps 2 through 12. And um, I am so grateful for those steps. And it's very interesting to see the steps laid out so simply here. What I understand about the moral inventory, confession, restitution, um, is that those are the steps we use to clear away the wreckage of our past and keep clear our interior life so that God's grace and blessings and direction can come into us. If I don't do that work, then in a very, very subtle way, I'm closing the door on my higher power and I'm at risk of taking back control of my eating, which means no control, and of my life. Um, And I know that that's, that's not it's not an option for me. It's just not an option for me. I have no choice but to follow these steps. And I'm so grateful that Abby and Bill W. and Dr. Bob, that they listened to their intuition, that they listened to uh, the voice of their higher power that brought them together and helped them to start this organization, which has helped millions since that time. With that, I pass. Thank you, Roxanne B. I'm back. I'm back. Thank you so much. Good morning, everyone. I'm grateful to be here at this meeting with all of you, and I'm grateful recovered compulsive overeater calling from Florida. 
I had no clue when I came to this program to my first meeting. I was 12-step for about a week. A friend of mine had belonged to AA and OA, and she told me about it. I just knew I could not stop eating. And uh, she talked about the allergy of the body and the mental obsession, a little bit about the steps here and there, and she did not have to convince me. I knew, I knew. I just didn't know there was a name for it. I didn't know it was. I didn't know about compulsive overeating. I didn't know about eating disorders. I didn't know about you know anything of it. I just knew I could not stop eating. And uh, she, I, I wanted to have what she had, and I was ready to do whatever she told me to do because I didn't want to die. And she did say to me, though, you know, you need to find a power greater than yourself, Asa because we cannot do this by ourselves. We need God to help us. We need the 12 steps. We need to go to the meetings. We have to take the action. And I was a doer. doer. I was an action person anyways, but when it came to the food, I just could not do it. You know, I couldn't do it by myself. And, you know, and I, you know, she said, you know, you got to surrender. And I was ready. You know, I did whatever she told me to do, and I did surrender to, you know, on my knees, and I said, God, I can't do this by myself. Please help me. And I did have that spiritual experience, spiritual whatever they call it. At that moment, I felt that connection with that higher power, with God that they, they're talking, but I didn't talk about it for a while because I was ashamed that he, to tell people what happened. Till later, you know, I heard other people sharing. That's the only thing I, ca- I stayed with the program because I had the experience. And that was only just at the beginning, and that's the only way I kept coming. And, uh, again, it's by the grace of God, you know, you know, I've been taking the food obsession has been lifted because I was being able to put those foods down. I, you know, I didn't want to eat healthy food before I came to a program. I just wanted to eat those things that triggered the 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 craving it was the, one of the hardest things I had to do is to put those foods down, and uh, and I have, I've never gone back to them and I've kept on working the steps the way they're laid out. Thank you for letting me share. And I pass. Thank you, Vasa O. Wayne C. You're next, followed by Sally A. Hi, Wayne. We don't hear you. Okay, Sorry, but, I was just talking oh, away okay. there and giving okay. a big speech. And uh, <laughs> that's, that's, uh, I, was, I was saying thank you and everything and all the the, the niceties. That's, I've learned to you know to be to be thankful and acknowledge people. Uh, you know, and uh, I never had that before. I was always like, okay, I'm here. We can start now, right? And uh, but uh, you know, thank God that the program does cater to its members, right? That uh, somebody could just jump in and. And, uh, and and have at her. Um, so the the steps, yeah, the you know the, the last piece is with I'm on step eleven today. I think we're gonna we're gonna hammer out step eleven at some point this morning. And uh, step yeah, these these the way they roll this stuff out. I mean, um, you know, they all ring a bell, right? They have they have particular meaning because you know if I'm, I'm going through. 
you know, the nines, of course, uh, you know, hopefully uh, get them done. And there's an end to that type thing. But, you know, it's uh, got to find some people and that sort of thing. But, yeah, some of these things just ring a bell. These tenants uh, that they referred to in the last sentence. Um, and, and I'm glad that Bill had the foresight, whether it was through... Um, uh, you listen to Joe and Charlie tapes, they talk about how that inspiration came to Bill ultimately in terms of the writing of how it works and just how, you know, my, uh, the, the, I don't know if I call my sponsor, but the Visions guy who's taking me through the steps and he's very, he emphasizes in sequence and, 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 and I think there's some value. A lot of, it's very critical for that, um, because, you know, I mean, those things are setting up the pathway to a, a, cons- a relationship with a higher power, my understanding. And I, I'm finding that to be the case, uh, kicking around the club rooms for, you know, six hard years. Um, went to my first meeting some 20-some years ago. I mean, I guess God said, hey, man, this is this is the path that you're going to be on. And uh, this is what's in store for you, you know, uh, being in that meeting, I don't know, it was almost 20-some years ago. Uh, but yeah, certainly um, six hard in the last years, really hard for six years and uh, not getting it, clearly missing something. And then to get this guy, you know, Kim G's um, entry into, uh, I, you know, I don't know, I, I don't want to make anybody, you know, uh, any more than, than who they might think they are. But uh, in terms of, you know, um, just, you know, I'm sure Kim would say she's just a helper, right? And, uh, and uh, yeah, I'm very grateful she helped to get me. And you guys, boy, Visions has been a real blessing in my life. So uh, I'll close with um, wish everybody a good 24. Best thanks. Thank you, Wayne C. Sally A., you're next. Good morning. Julie, can you hear me? I can. Okay, thank you. Good morning, uh, Vision for you. Good morning, my friend. It's Sally A. in New York. Um, I wanted to share on this sentence from this doctor, the broker had learned the grave nature of alcoholism, though he could not accept all the tenets. And it's interesting that he goes on to talk about step four in the moral inventory and step five, confession of personality defects, the restitution to those harmed, which is steps eight and nine, helpfulness to others, which is step 12, and the necessity of belief in dependence in, in, and dependence upon God, which is step 11, but certainly even more, step uh, two and three, belief, step two. And interestingly, he doesn't include step one in this. You know, he's including belief, which I see as two and three and 11, but he doesn't include step one. And, and this is important to me because I have such a hard time because of my big fat ego uh, accepting and admitting my powerlessness because of my ego. And for me, you know, the reason that I did a, a, deep, a deep, you know, a jumping off of a diving board, a cannonball into quicksand because I still struggle with acceptance on a daily, moment-by-moment basis. I have hours of believing that I am powerless. And then I have these brief interludes of fat ego that lead me to a place, a precipice, where I'm thinking about what I want to do. And I have this, these uh, 
these moments that truly throw me back right back into the quicksand. And um, it doesn't have to be. What I'm, what I'm realizing more and more is the importance of that food plan and not thinking that I can just, uh, by the, you know, thinking that I can do this myself and that I can um, have, a, have my own willy-nilly plan for the day because the beauty of the structure and discipline of having that food plan, and I know we're talking about the big book. Why do we have to talk about food? Because we're not alcoholics in this group here. We're food addicts. And it's different. It's definitely different because we have to have a relationship with food. And alcoholics cannot have a relationship with specific items. But we have to have a relationship. And I can binge on carrots. So I have to understand that if I don't draw a line in the sand every day with my food plan first thing in the morning, if I don't have that line in the sand, knowing that when I reach the line, I make a decision and I'm holding something in my hand that's not in my plan, that I know here's the moment, the defining moment of my day when I will either cross the line and be in the food or I will stand the line and not go into the food. And that's why I have to have that food plan that stops me for today. And that's why I need the steps because they are an ever reminder to me. These two things hand in hand that I work these tools and that I have these steps. These two things are the only way I, as a critical low-bottom food addict, can be well. And it starts with step one, admitting moment by moment my powerlessness. Thanks for letting me share with that iPad. Thank you, Sally A. Who would like to share? Barbara B. Sarah W. Barbara Sarah W. Linda R. Melissa C. Melissa. Okay, Linda R. Melissa C. Linda D. From Connecticut. Oh, Linda D. Irene. Laura G. Laura. Laura Okay. Ripka. Okay, we're going to start with Barbara B., Sarah W., and Linda D. Go ahead, Barbara. Thank you. This is Barbara B., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Massachusetts. I love doing these pages, and who would have ever thought I'd like doing the forward to various editions? Uh, But it takes me back, as it says, um, you know, Bill learned from Dr. Silkwork the grave nurture of alcoholism, and although he couldn't accept all the tenets of the Oxford groups, it takes me back to envisioning him at the table when Ebby came to see him and he said, I've got religion. Because in my own experience, um, I can remember in disease going to constantly try to dry out at fat farms, as they call them, hygienic retreats. And as I kept going back, because I couldn't deal with life and I'd go back to food, didn't have the 12 steps, didn't have OA, the director said to me, you know, Barbara, maybe you've got to get religion. It was like, it was, you know, now in retrospect, I see this kind of like Ebbian. I said, I've got religion. I, was, I went to religious schools. I've taken so many classes in theology. What is he talking about? Well, I had to, like Bill, I had to learn in OA in my first meeting about the grave nature of alcoholism. I had to have another compulsive overeater direct me to the doctor's opinion. I had to look at my 
experience in the light of the phenomenon of craving. I had to look at my life in the light of the 12 steps in that way of life. And she kept giving me the book, Came to Believe. She gave it to me once. I lost it. She gave it to me twice. Because that beloved woman knew it had to be a combination of a spiritual program and the practical plan of action. It had to be spiritually based, and I had to act and do the inventories and do the 12 steps. So I'm very glad to be going through all that uh, and sharing that as I look at Believe it or not, and I'm expecting a forward to the second edition. Uh, thank you, and I pass. Thank you. And Sarah W., you're next. Good morning, Julie. Thank you so much for your service. Uh, good morning, Vision. Sarah W., Grateful Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Um, I was thinking that, um, you know, the tenants are on page 263, and he sold himself short. You know, complete deflation is one. Um, two is dependence and guidance from a higher power. Three is moral inventory. Four is confession. Five is restitution. And six is continued work with other alcoholics. And I think for myself, you know, they did obtain so much, uh, you know, both Bob and, and Bill from the Oxford group. Uh, but, you know, thank God they, they realized that they had to open it up and, and make it broad and roomy and all-inclusive and never exclusive. And I think that's a huge piece of our program. But on the other side of it, you know, the grave nature, to me, the grave nature says to me that, you know, grave means deadly, you know, deadly. And, you know, whether it's physical death or spiritual death or emotional death, if I think that I can pick up any substance that is outside of the realm of what my um, food plan contains, you know, I'm just right back into self-will and and really basically saying, I don't care about the program or my higher power. And at, on the other side of it, if it really is an illness, when people go back, it's like if, you know, I've had cancer and if I end up, you know, everybody's supportive, you know, you know, get well, get well. And then if I, if my cancer comes back and I come out of remission and I end up, you know, right in the thick of cancer again, it's like everybody's saying, well, you have cancer now, you know, you're on your own. So, you know, it is a grave nature, but I think we need to help each other through um, through the tough times. Uh, and that it is, uh, you know, I have to take responsibility for my program on a daily basis. Uh, I had something come up um, yesterday about restitution with my granddaughter where she was, she spoke to me about something that I didn't even remember that happened. And it, it was really hurtful. It was really painful. And I had to come from a place of, of love and say, you know, I'm so sorry, uh, you know, that this happened. And I'm going to have to do more work on that. And that's the whole thing. It's never ending. The work is never ending. But it's such a wonderful thing to be present to the moment, not to be in the food, not to be in a place where I don't feel like I can be present to life. Because that's really what happens. I, I disengage from people, from God, and from myself. So I'm so grateful for the program, and with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah W. Linda D., followed by Melissa C. 
Good morning, everybody. It's Linda D. from Connecticut, and I'm so thrilled, so grateful to be a recovered compulsive overeater. And what the heck does that mean? I was t- I know what it means, but I- I'm going to tell you what I like to share. I was talking to a potential newcomer who wanted the phone number, and uh, as I listened to all of you, and it was great information, um, great sharing, I um, I thought of this person and what it was like when I was new. That's like 34 years ago, and um, I'll tell you. What it was like was I just want to lose weight so I look good. I had a lot of shame and I had a lot of fear. And when I came in, I did not understand what was going on. And I thought I just heard God over and over and over. And I thought, what? Is this a cult? I came from another era. There were a lot of cults in the 60s, I guess. And people were really afraid for good reason. This is not a cult. This is not fanaticism. This works because of the steps from the big book and the people that are living it. I'm one of the people who's living it. I'm experiencing a growth I never thought possible in my life. Is it painful at times? Yes because I'm dragging my tuchus out of real quicksand. I do not know how to live a creative life. I know how to live a self-destructive life. That's another word for ego, in my case, anyway. So there is a higher power. It doesn't originate in me, but it is in me. I know this because of experience through the steps. So if you're new... Or if you're old, stick around and go to a lot of meetings, this meeting in particular, and listen. Listen with an open mind. And something will fall in, and your life will begin. Thanks. I pass. Thank you, Linda D. Melissa C., followed by Irini. Hi. Good morning. It's Melissa C., recovered compulsive overeater in New York. And, um, you know, so it starts with, you know, somebody uh, telling us about the grave nature of uh, this disease. And, you know, I've been told the grave nature um, in many places and many times, you know, that what, no. that this was killing me, you know, that I was going to die because of the way I was eating and the weight that I was gaining, um, you know, but that didn't, um, that didn't drive me to do anything else besides that, you know, I just was told this is killing you, and, um, you know, and the solution surely had to come from a diet, you know, but this, what follows is um, is a, a personal inventory, a moral inventory, uh, restitution, making amends, cleaning things up, and a relationship with God, you know, those are the things that can, um, can uh, save me from this grave uh, illness that we have, and, um, you know, and when, for me, that idea of a relationship with with God was um, terrifying, and I bristled against it because I had a notion of God, and, um, and frankly, God, you know, screwed me, and so I didn't really feel reliance on God was necessary, 
but, um, you know, when you're hopeless enough and you hear people say recovered, so powerful to hear that, um, I said, okay, you know what, I'm willing to at least um, maybe open up my mind a little bit, you know, and that's the beauty here. That was all it took for me. Um, and so, you know, we have these, like, um, at least I had this kind of um, spiritual little spark. You know, it wasn't a full-fledged um, awakening. It was sort of like an infatuation when you first see someone and you're infatuated. But there's no relationship. It's just, oh, wait, this this looks appealing. That was what I had at first. And then the work um, of the moral inventory, the making of restitutions, that's what grew the relationship and the reliance on God. And so it seems kind of crazy. I couldn't really do the work without some kind of reliance on God, and yet as I did the work, my reliance on God grew. You know, and that's kind of how it, how it happens. That's how recovery occurs. Um, and I'm so grateful that someone talked about, you know, the food. Because if I don't have a food plan, yeah, I'm a compulsive overeater. And we know that people did this work sober. They didn't do it drinking. And so I'm a compulsive overeater. I have to have clear parameters around my food so that I can continue to do the work food sober and heal the results. Thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Melissa C. Irini, you're next, followed by Laura G. Thank you, um, Julie, for your service. Good morning, my spiritual brothers and sisters. My name is Irini, and I'm a very grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Thank you, God, always giving credit where credit is due. The necessity of belief in and dependence upon God. So there's a lot of things to do. Uh, We have our to-do list to get to our goal. But besides doing the work that we have to do, it is required, it is indispensable, it's unavoidable not to only believe, but to also depend on God. So this starts in the mind, Starts, this thought starts in our mind, in our, in our thoughts, but we have to bring it down into our hearts. It cannot just stay as knowledge in our heads. We have to experience this, and we push it down into our hearts, and it goes into the most inward part of our being. And then with God, we push it down into our feet, and we become it. We become alive with this book. So what we believe is so important because what we believe we become. And this is the first step. The principle is honesty is the beginning. This is the start. We have to be honest and truthful. And to accept something that is truth, even without evidence. And it's giving God a chance to believe through faith that he can do And he will do and make a difference in our lives, but only if we let him. So we have to weigh and measure our thoughts and ask for help to see what the truth is continually, because the truth always sets us free. And to depend on God and not 
to depend not to not to depend on God and to depend on self-reliance, well, we all have our testimonies about that. So we have to smash that illusion of lies, and we have to trust and hold on to the truth, and the truth will set us free. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Irene. Laura G. followed by Ripka, Ripka A. Hi, this is Laura, compulsive overeater. And um, I was thinking about the um, Dr. Silkworth um, being called a saint. And he was amazing. I've gone to a lot of doctors. And if I would have gone and said what Bill Wilson said to my doctor about having, about my spiritual awakening, they would have put me in the loony bin. And Dr. Silkworth did not. He said that it was a good thing and that he should hang on to it. And Dr. Silkworth had the wisdom to know that addiction is a disease. I've gone to a lot of very good doctors, and they don't realize that. My last doctor, I talked to her about my compulsive overeating and my food addiction, and she doesn't get it. And she's the best doctor I've ever been to. It's um, it is truly God's grace that um, that Doctor Silkworth knew what was going on, and um, I feel very fortunate. And that's all I have. Thanks. Thank you, Laura G. And uh, Rika, I might have pronounced your name wrong, A. Hello, my name is Rivka A. And I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And I'm from Israel. And uh, thank you so much for doing service. And for all those listeners out there, I really appreciate your being a part of this meeting. Um, just to share a little bit, been my own small experience in this, um, just being convinced of a need for moral inventory, confession, restitution, a necessity, and a belief in the dependence upon God. Well, you know, um, if you had told me that before I came in these rooms about all of these uh, things that need to be done, um, I I would have run the other way. I I, I had to be convinced, first of all, that I had a need. I had a need that couldn't be satisfied. Uh, I was like a graveyard where, you know, more is never enough. (laughs) You just keep filling up the graveyard and, uh, you know, there's no bottom. It's just continual binge eating round the clock. There's no rest. There's no peace. There's no happiness. Um, there's that restless, irritable discontentment. Um, it wasn't until I was convinced that, you know, my lack of power, it wasn't working. I had failed, but I couldn't at that time let go. I couldn't stop struggling and holding on to what I felt was the right way to live my life. Leave me alone. I can tell you what to do, but don't tell me what to do. You know, um, 
And it says in, in more about alcoholism, it says once uh, an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. <laughs> well, I was a potential at that time. I didn't know it. Potential compulsive overeater. I didn't know it. You know, in order to get started, to even get on the path, to even have a beginning, I had to understand that I had to know that I had to stop the compulsive overeating. If I was planning to stop, if I was planning to stop, there had to be no reservation of any kind, nor any lurking notion or any ideas that I had, which came to nothing. And that, you know, maybe someday I'll be able to be like the other people in this world. Well, that's just a lie. It's an illusion. It's a dream. It's a fantasy. And I had to be real. I had to be real with myself. To thine own self be true. Honesty, of course. Admitting and being convinced that I needed help from something much far greater than myself. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. And we are going to go on to the next paragraph. And Ginger C., would you please read the next paragraph? Hi, Julie. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Hi, good morning. This is Ginger C., recovered compulsive overeater in Colorado. Prior to his journey to Akron, The broker had worked hard with many alcoholics on the theory that only an alcoholic could help an alcoholic, but he had succeeded only in keeping sober himself. The broker had gone to Akron on a business venture which had collapsed, leaving him greatly in fear that he might start drinking again. He suddenly realized that in order to save himself, he must carry this message to another alcoholic, and that alcoholic turned out to be the Akron physician. And I just want to flip to page 15 with Bill's story. Um, You know, it says, For if an alcoholic failed to perfect and enlarge his spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others, he could not survive the certain trials and low spots ahead. And if he did not work, he would surely drink again. And if he drank, he would surely die. And when all other measures failed, work with another alcoholic would save the day. It is a design for living that worked and rough going and um, just such powerful stuff. I just cannot believe this big book. Um, And it just takes me to an experience. I share my experience, strength, and hope this morning with you guys on the line because I ate many, many bites over my son and um, he caused my last binge. Well, I caused my last binge because I believed the lie that food was my answer, and I went to Krispy Kreme and bought a dozen donuts, and I ate them. And um, last spring, I had to make the hardest call of my life because he was suicidal, and I had to call 911 to save his life. And there is so much truth in these words because nothing saves the day. My most important thing at that point in time was not to pick up the Krispy Kreme, but to pick up and hold God's hand even tighter because we were in a real crisis period and I needed to stay strong for my child. And I'm so grateful for the work that I did prior to this because I had only been six months out of the food. 
But because I live in 10 and 11 and 12, and I know, you know, a lot of people, I hear it, they let go of sponsees or they slow their work because life is too hard and things are happening. No, that's the time when we have to lean in harder because that bite is getting closer. I separate myself. This disease is about isolation. And thank God, two hours after the police had taken my son, I had a call with the sponsee to read Bill's story. And she truly saved the day because she gave me an answer back. I shared what I had just gone through and what was happening just to give her hope that you don't have to eat a bite to go through this thing called life. We're no longer maladjusted like the doctor's opinion talks about. And she shared back with me, which is amazing because I had a few sponsees at the time. She said, that, well, that's interesting because my daughter at 16, we have the exact same story, except I had a daughter, you had a son, but she also was on a suicide watch. And now today, as an adult, she's recovered and she's sober and she's going to be a policewoman. So the miracle of God, and you know, that was the greatest thing that happened is that I got to go through that with grace. I didn't have to create another crisis on top of a crisis and get into my head and into my fear and and into worry and phone calls and and just spinning out. I just stayed quiet and close to God and kept holding God's hand. And then more miracles happened. And the most beautiful, most amazing is that I was alive, I was awake, and I was present, and I was there for my son in a way that he needed his mom desperately. So thank God that we get to work with others and uh, and have our days saved and then, of course, be able to give this message back that you can go through this thing called life on life's terms, accepting exactly what comes down your pipe as long as you're in spiritual fit condition and you keep doing it one day at a time like your life depends on it because it does. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much, Ginger C. And who would like to share? Reva P. We have, to, we have time for one chair. Reva. Reva P., go ahead. <laughs> Good morning. Uh, my name is Reva P., grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Oh, I'm just so passionate about this paragraph. Um, what this paragraph shows me, uh, first of all, is that, you know, he outlines steps um, 1 to 11, including 12 above, and um once I work steps 1 to 11, I'm prepared for step 12. But most importantly, in this paragraph, what strikes me is Bill was living in 10, 11, and 12. He went on a business venture, and it didn't go well, and he was in fear. And what did he do? He didn't pick up his substance. He did the work, and he did, um, it outlines the work above, which for me is step 10, and then 11, and then he worked with someone else. Um, and I'm in resentment against the uh, nursing staff at my mother's um, retirement home. And this is such a great warning for me that I need to do the work before I go into that building um, and work with another um, recovered compulsive overeater. And it also reminds me of the miracle um, that I remember the first day I walked in. I didn't know that there were other people who had this illness. And then I had no clue that this illness had a solution. And it says on page 18 that the ex-problem drinker who has found this solution, who is properly armed with facts about himself, 
can win the entire confidence of another alcoholic in a few hours, um, that this person has found a real answer, that he has no attitude of holier than thou, nothing except the sincere desire to be helpful um, is the most effective thing. And I am just so grateful for the people who have walked this path before me um, because it encourages me um, to do the work and keep on this spiritual path um, because I get to live happy, sane, and useful, which was so not like how it was before. With that, I pass. Thank you, Reva P. It is now time to close our meeting. Thank you to everyone who has shared. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And will Christine M. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Yes, good morning, everyone. This is Christine M., recovered in Missouri. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answer will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Abandon your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.